1: This is Arjun, and it's truly a pleasure to have fascinating conversations with leaders from all walks of life and all over the world. In that spirit, today, it's my honor and pleasure to invite my VIP guest, Randy Ross. Dr. Randy Ross is a compelling communicator, a craftsman of culture, and a best-selling author of multiple books, including his latest one titled, Hope Rises, Make Your Life, Love, and Leadership so he has worked with brands such as GE Appliance, McDonald's, Panasonic, Cox Communication, Compass, uh, Compass Group, Chick-fil-A, Keller Williams, and Intercontinental Hotel Group to inspire people to find new passion and purpose in their work and perform better together in teams. You know, this is the thing that really intrigued me and I really had to talk to Randy once I realized that some of us make an impact But when some of us go above and beyond that rare few to help others achieve that higher level, that person I really must talk to. Currently, as a CMO of Remarkable and former Chief People Officer of North American Automotive Grouping Incorporated, he utilizes his experience to engage audiences worldwide with his keen insight and good Mm -hmm. contagious humor. That's the good contagiousness we need right now. Randy, welcome to Secrets to Winbig.
0: Arjun, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
1: Randy, I, start, I want to start with the practical information of overcoming setbacks and challenges is sometimes is what you focus on. So what's your story, your background that started your journey to help others? What were some of the challenges and obstacles you have overcome to arrive at where you are and adding impact and value to us all?
0: Well, I'm happy to go back and kind of retrace some of the steps for you, Arjun. Uh, for me, uh, like many people, I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I, I love to plant things. I love to, love to grow things. And, um, and I've done that for the majority of my life. I've had the privilege of working with some, some wonderful organizations. But in the early days of my career, um, I spent a lot of time in the not-for-profit space. As a matter of fact, uh, built a a large thriving organization in South Florida and was at the helm of that organization. We were doing great good in the community. It was high packed. We were high impact. We were growing rapidly. Uh, And I personally hit a crisis. Um, uh, For me, uh, there was a series of challenges that came my way. Uh, First, unfortunately, I, I lost my wife and I found myself to be the the single parent of two pre-adolescent children, um, and my whole life sort of collapsed. It was one of those things that emotionally and, and spiritually was a devastating time for me. Uh, and shortly on the heels of that, I, I lost my, my dream job, my ideal job, which I never imagined would ever happen, but I found myself in a situation where I was, I was uh, overwhelmed. I was challenged emotionally. I was stretched spiritually. Um, and I came to a place that honestly, I I was just rather hopeless. Mm -hmm. And it was in that period of time that I began to to understand what was required to rebuild life after you hit a wall. What, what does it mean to, to start over from scratch? What does it look like to take on the biggest challenges of life and be able to see on the other side of that, not only a brighter tomorrow, but really to be able to build for yourself your own blue sky life and it was in that period of time that i began to explore a lot of the principles and practices that we teach currently to corporate leaders around the globe and that's how do you how do you face challenges how do you overcome obstacles how do you sustain yourself during the greatest storms of life and then how do you come out on the other side with something of value that you can offer to other people who may find themselves in a similar situation because to your point that you made earlier You know, life is not just about growing to become your best self. There's a lot of conversation around that about finding your purpose. It's about being your best self. Uh, If you want to take it back to Abraham Maslow, uh, as many of us can do that from a psychological standpoint, his hierarchy of needs at the top of the hierarchy of needs. A lot of people think that self-actualization is the pinnacle, but it's not. As a matter of fact, if you, if you read history, if you know much about history, Then he was challenged by a friend of his by the name of of Robert Hartman, who said a self actualization can't be at the top of the pyramid because a life that's wrapped up in itself makes a very small package. And so he challenged him to think through the idea of life is not complete until you've given back to others. And so in his last writings that were not widely published, he added a tier above. Self, tra- uh, excuse me, self-actualization, and it's actually self-transcendence, wow. which means that life is not complete until you've until you've done good, until you've left a legacy, until you've left something behind that makes a substantive difference in the lives of others. And I think that's that's what we embrace, and that's what we teach.
1: As I'm listening to you, and as I listen to a lot of leaders, what I find is. There are three dimensions leaders play in. Level one, which is everyone. I call that the world of one of many, which takes excelling in what you do. You really have to be good at what you do. Then I call level two, which is one of few, where those who are good at what they do, but also are having fun in what they're doing. You can see a smile on their face. But then what you just described to me is the ultimate level, which is level three, which is one of one in my humble opinion, where not only you're good at what you do, you're having fun, but you're making an impact on others. Because to me, that's the legacy. It's literally the good pyramid scheme where you are influencing others and they go on and make an impact. But I just want to go back to something where The journey that you talked about, about losing your wife, very tough time, I'm very sorry what you went through and two amazing children that you raised, but at the same time, you had to lose your job. In The darkest of nights, and it seems like there's no hope. How did Randy go through those nights and keep you
0: in the game and not give up? That's a great question. One of my heroes, one of my favorite authors of all time is an individual by the name of Viktor Frankl. I don't know if you're familiar with Viktor Frankl, but he he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl was an Austrian um, uh, psychiatrist who survived the Nazi concentration camps. And all of his worldly possessions were taken from him. Uh, all of his family members were lost in the, the German concentration extermination camps. And he w- himself was conscripted because he was a, uh, a professional, a, a doctor of psychology. He was conscripted to actually document some of the worst atrocities that you can ever imagine that man could perpetrate against mankind. But through all of that, he writes from this sense of inner stability. He writes from the standpoint of he imagined what life would be like on the other side of the darkness. Mm -hmm. And that's what gave him the hope to endure um, that horrific period of time in his own life. And he came out on the other side uh, and he wrote "Man search for many, but he also created what's known as logo therapy. And I've always found that fascinating that, that Victor Frankl, someone who could endure the harshest conditions that you could ever imagine, mm-hmm. never lost hope and saw himself on the other side of it. I think what happens in the human spirit is this, you, you're either going to succumb to the pressure mm-hmm. or you're going to find the substance that's necessary to find emotional equilibrium and then use that to leverage bad times to extract good things. And that's what I found to be true. When you understand the principles of applied hope, because applied hope, it's not just a matter of, of, you know, placards and platitudes. Uh, it's not just for dreamers and for poets. Hope is for doers. Hope is active, it's vibrant, it sustains the soul. And we would all say, you know, in difficult times, you, you have to have hope to anchor the soul, but very few people understand what hope is really all about. But once you do, then, Arjun, man, it, it, it makes a world of difference in all of your pursuits.
1: I also want to go, with your kind permission, a little deeper and spiritual. When I came to this country as a student, there was some problem with the documents and everything else. Summary of that is I thought I was getting $16,500 scholarship. There was a typographical error and I was getting only 1650 which was not enough to make, you know, both ends meet. And was this close to getting evicted from this country? I wrote a letter to my grandma and those days, you know, we used to write letters and my grandma being the most influential person in my life. And then I waited and, you know, three weeks later, a response came back. And she said, you know, as I listen to you and I hear, I feel sad and worried. I was even tempted to sell my home and get you the money. But then I decided not to, because I believe God is never cruel. God would never put you in a challenge unless he was 110% sure that he gave you the skills to overcome. He even explained to me that God would never throw you into water unless God was sure you can swim. But then he explained to me, knowing swimming doesn't help if you do not use your hand, your legs and your breathing to keep yourself afloat. So believe in yourself and you'll come out of that other side stronger. You know, at that moment, I hated my grandma and, you know, as a grandson, I can always hate people I love, but more I reflected on, I really feel she helped me such a lot by not bailing me out because that set me up for bigger success in future. Because as you're talking about, you know, when I go back listening to you about active hope, and I'm just love that concept about active hope, because many a time the word hope has been marketed, positioned as this negative force where it's an inactive thing. You just hope and not do anything. I love the way you're taking hope and taking it forward. So I just want to you know, transition to, of course, only one place I can go with the word hope is about the book, Hope Rises. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the purpose of the book. Why are you you know, do you think or did you think it was important to get us reconnected back to hope, the core beliefs of hope? And what are some major takeaways we should all have from that?
0: Well, first, I, I, I can't uh, miss the opportunity to say that your grandmother was a very, very wise woman um, because what she did for you was that she allowed you to grow through the experiences of life. Mm-hmm rather than try to rescue you which in the end probably would have stunted a lot of your growth and may have very likely kept you from becoming the successful individual that you are because one of the things that we we talk about in the book hope rises is the fact that we have to we have to look at life through a different set of lenses you know when i reached middle age I, my vision started changing. <laughs> and, and you're wearing glasses, you, you know what it's like to go to the ophthalmologist. And she drops this, you know, monstrosity of a machine in front of your face. And she begins to drop all these various lenses for you to be able to see clearly. And she adjusts those until you have perfect vision, 2020 20 vision. Well, in the same way, we all look at life through different lenses, and we see life differently. But this is what I know to be true. That there's Nothing in the world that can change the way you view the world than your own personal perspective, the lenses that you look through. Uh, As a matter of fact, perspective is the only thing in the world that can radically alter, radically transform the results that you get without altering a single element of your environment. Let me say it again. Your perspective is the only thing in the world that can radically transform the results you get without altering a single element of your environment, because we can't always control our outer world. We might be able to influence it, but there are very few things, if you are honest, over which we actually have control. I mean, you can't control the climate. You can't control the economy. You can't even control other people. The only thing over which you truly have control is yourself, your own internal spirit, and the way that you view the world, but that's powerfully important. And so we want to talk about transforming the way that we see challenges. And and one of the biggest things we talk about is the fact that your present conditions can be conditioning to prepare you for greater things to come. Um, And that's so often the case, because even as you discovered, um, I love this definition of, of creativity, Arjun, creativity is what you get when all the other options are taken off of the table. wow! And, and your grandmother, she took some options off of the table. So that forced you to be incredibly creative. And hard times can challenge us to be creative. They can, they can build resilience within us. They can shatter bad beliefs. It gives us a whole new way of relating to the world. We become much more relatable you know through the challenges that we face and and we have greater empathy to be able to help other people because i truly believe that hardship and difficulty connects us to the rest of humanity It, it reminds us of our frailty but it also reminds us of the strength that we have when we lean into those things that are necessary in order for us to be able to embrace and to imbue hope and so you know hope again it's not just uh slogans and and platitudes but but hope is the substance of life that gives us what we need to persevere through challenging times
1: now as i'm listening to you i'm just realizing that challenges are opportunities and hope is the first step of seeing that opportunity i want to go back to my grandma's story and when i went back i said i cannot believe you would not rescue me she looked at me and she said Rescue is God's job, not mine. Okay, And the smile on her face, and she then pinched me by saying, look, you turned out okay. And I just feel that as you are talking about perspective, perspective is so incredibly important because again, I'll digress for a second. I was in New York watching this golf putting contest when I realized that everybody was gathering around one hole. Like, like 90% of the audience spectators were there. So I had to go there. I go and realize this one man, he had one arm and one leg. Hmm. And he was putting and he uses his putter as a crutch as he walks. But in golf, as you putt, at that instant, you cannot anchor your body to the putter. You cannot connect it. So he would go through just as he parts, he would let the body and the putter go. And the next second he'll bounce into that putter to use it again as a crutch. When he got eliminated on the eighth hole, I was screaming by saying, I call timeout. Like he needs a second chance. Like I was so much into this man's success. And that day I realized was many a time we complain that the glass is half empty. I realized some of us should be happy just to have a glass. Some of us should be happy just to have a hand or arm that one day we will get a glass. And in the case of this man, what I realized was in his mind, he saw himself as a winner. And as you're talking about creativity, as you're talking about hope, there's the bigger vision. And I really think that what you're unleashing in people is really fascinating. I want to go to a quote from about you is you talk about when people like what they do, they do it better. But when people like those they do it with, they work better together. So help me connect a little bit about hope, creativity, vision, but more importantly, also this whole positive energy of people around
0: us. Absolutely. Well, one of the biggest parts of hope is actually this realization that we all need to be connected in community. We, we were designed for community. I called it, we're, we were built to connect because we're, we're very much like Legos and everybody knows the Lego company, right? The Legos are those multicolor bright bricks that you can combine in, in a wide variety of ways to create anything that your imagination can concoct. Well, the word Lego is Danish. It's, it's leg goat, which means to play together well. <laughs> we were all designed to play together well. And so we have to be involved in a community that we're connected with other people uh, relationally, emotionally. And that's what collaboration is all about. That's what creativity is all about. In, in corporate cultures, we call that culture, right? In corporate organizations, we call that culture. It's how well people play together in the sandbox of life. And happy people just perform better. Happy people relate better. Happy people play better together in the sandbox. And so hope is a huge part of health, happiness, longevity. You know, I'm going to go back because you've made reference several times to your grandmother and to the fact that she, you know, forced you to reconsider the fact that that God may have brought you into those circumstances by design. And in the book, uh, you know, my audience um, is predominantly Fortune 500 companies. And so I have to position my message in such a way that it makes sense to them. And and so although I'm a great, I'm a person of great faith, and, and I believe that there's this eternal trilogy of faith, hope, and love I wanted to write this book Arjun from a scientific perspective. And so I combed through over 200 scientifically validated and peer-reviewed research papers on the efficacy of hope because everything I had ever read or been exposed to was heavily faith-based and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's fantastic. It's it's part and parcel of who I am. But but I wanted to say, okay, I get that piece of it. I get the underlying foundation and how important that is. But what I wanna know is what is, the, what is the, the impact, the real life impact of hope on organizations? And, and that's where I was fascinated because uh, the research tells us that high hope individuals are 14% more productive than their low hope counterparts. High hope organizations um, spend less money because their people are much more highly engaged. So, therefore, there's less absenteeism, there's higher levels of morale, there's better collaboration, there are less workman's comp claims because people are more highly focused. Here's a fun one High Hope students are 12% better. They have their grade point averages 12% better than their low Hope counterparts. And this is fascinating Hope is a better predictor of success in law school. Than mm-hmm. even the LSAT, which is the entrance exam. Wow! So all of those things combined, when you realize the power that hope can have, then it's important that we are able to define it properly, but then we can pursue it effectively. And that's where we apply a lot of practical wisdom and, uh, and practices that people can actually put into place. Um, to embrace and to imbue hope.
1: So you talk about you being very, you know, the research that you looked at, the 200 scientific data points. You come across very, very living hope yourself. For you, it is easy. For rest of us, what are some KPIs? What do we look at? to tell us either we pat ourselves on the back that we are doing good on hope or we are a little low on hope or a lot low in hope. Like what is that indicator that
0: tells us where we stand on hope? Well, one of the things that that we provide actually is an assessment that helps people be able to diagnose their levels of hope. And that's rather fascinating because It's an assessment that's uh, widely acclaimed from the field of axiology, and it helps people identify those areas where they may be weak. Um, And we can break hope down, and we can talk about the various components of hope. You know, we talked about the community that we surround ourselves with is a big part of that, but there are four components, there are four beliefs and four components to hope. There's the work of hope, and the work of hope is the goal-setting piece of it. It's the academic part, the cerebral part. There's the will of hope, which is the passion, the perseverance, the excitement, the enthusiasm. It's the it's what sustains our spirit during difficult times. There's the way of hope, which is the various pathways that we can pursue to reach a desired destination. And then there's the width of hope, the community, the people that we surround ourselves with. So those are the those are the four components, and so we, we break each one of those down and talk about things that we can practically do. But there are four core beliefs of hope, too, and maybe that's a good place for us just to, to uh, spend some time for a moment, because the four core beliefs of hope that we call are the buoyancy beliefs that, that keep us afloat during very difficult times when the sea storm is surging and, and the waves are, are wreaking havoc on our lives. The first one is positivity. Um, you have to believe that your tomorrow can be brighter than today, no matter how bleak today may be. That's that's positivity. It's the first part. And positivity is not, not the essence of hope because you've got to go beyond that. Positivity will not sustain you during the darkest hours of the soul. It's just not enough. There's got to be more there. But the second part, uh, second belief is responsibility. And responsibility says that, I'm not a victim of circumstances, but I have a say in how my life unfolds. And I'm not going to be acted upon as a passive player in the story of my life, but I'm going to, I'm going to be the, the actor that takes responsibility. I'm going, to, I'm going to write a better tomorrow. So I have to assume responsibility for my internal world and all those components over, what I, over which I do have control. The third part is agility. And this is huge. Because we always, you know, set a desired destination. We call them goals. But agility just simply says that if one path is blocked, I can find another. That there are various means to get to a desired destination. And if necessary, I can always re-goal if one path is clearly not passable. And then the fourth part, and this is absolutely essential, and that's your reality. You have to embrace reality and you have to know obstacles are going to come. Life is going to be challenging. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to hit a wall. You have to be emotionally prepared for that. And you have to embrace the totality of reality. Because hope, to your point, is not wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a it's not a Pollyanna attitude of seeing life through a rosy set of glasses. It's not it's not just denial um, of what's taking place around you and just you know, hoping the storm passes and leaves you unscathed. And you've probably even heard this in some business circles. I've heard it a thousand times. Hope is not a strategy. But I believe from the very bottom of my heart that hope is your best strategy. Mm-hmm. Because I think, I think without hope, no pursuit, no worthy endeavor will ever be successful. If you don't have hope, if you don't believe that it can be accomplished, then you, you're doomed from the beginning. And so uh, those four core components of hope, that's the essence of where you have to start. You have to embrace those four ideas of positivity, responsibility, agility, and reality. Once you do that, you're you're on a good path to being able to embrace hope.
1: You're one of the most positive people I've ever met. And I don't say that lightly. Now, I want to ask you a human question. You are just as human as me and the rest of us. If you and I aren't working together, there would be days you will be frustrated with me. There are days you'll be upset at me. And there are days we'll go beyond upset. How do you process those emotions and get back to positivity?
0: Great question. Because we all face those things, right? Um,
1: We are human. It's no point denying those emotions.
0: Absolutely not. You know, because that's, that's part and parcel of the human experience. And and I think, again, it's not a matter of just having a sense of positivity. Um, That's only part of it. Maybe you're familiar with uh, the Stockholm syndrome. I'm not Stockholm. That's the Stockdale, uh, the Stockdale paradox. Is that so James Stockdale he was the highest ranking naval officer that was ever taken prisoner in a Vietnam prisoner of war camp. And he survived the entirety of the war. And, and he came out, you know, through through those difficult times. And, and Jim Collins actually interviews him in his book, Good to Great. And he asked Stockdale, he says, So what's the secret of survival during tough times? And Stockdale said, Well, you you have to have this belief that that you will, in the end, you will be able to persevere. And he, that, that sounded really great. And, and so Collins goes on He says, so who did not, who did not survive the camps? And Stockdale said, oh, that's easy. He said it was the optimists. Hmm. And it it caught Collins by surprise. He said, the optimists, I thought you said you had to have the the perspective that in the end you would persevere. He said, you do. But he said you have to believe that in the end you will persevere you have to have that that positive attitude but you also have to have the discipline to embrace reality no matter how difficult it may be here's where it comes into play he said the optimist would say hey by christmas we'll be out the war will be over and we'll be home but christmas would come and christmas would go and there'd be no change and then they say well by Easter we'll be we'll be out the conflict will be over but Easter would come and Easter would go and then they say well by thanksgiving but it, but Thanksgiving would come and Thanksgiving would go and they eventually died of a broken heart because they lost all hope uh, hope is not just positivity we all have dark days we all have challenging relationships we all have difficult team dynamics we all hit a wall it's not a matter of just mentally willing ourselves through that, it's a matter of being able to embrace reality and understand that is part and parcel of the human experience. I am going to be discouraged. I am going to be, you know, at times uh, disappointed. I am going to be hurt. I am going to be offended. But what I have to do is I have to maintain emotional equilibrium. My soul internally has to be stable. And when that takes place, then I can act out of that stability and respond appropriately to the world around me. And so, you know, again, a big part of the challenges that we go through, I believe are are designed to create within us stability, but not only that resilience, but also empathy and relatability. And so not everybody in my world is, uh, what I like to describe as a balcony person, they're not all people who stand and cheer me on. I don't always get a standing ovation for the things that I do. Just like everybody else, I've got my critics. But I have to see even those critiques that come my way is opportunity for growth and opportunity for advancement. So again, it gets back to what's the perspective that you bring to that particular experience? And, And I'll tell you, You know, Arjun. Sometimes life has to teach us lessons that we're unwilling to learn any other way, and and that often happens. And it happens to all of us at some point in time or another. And so, I think the thing that we can do to help individuals most is to help them realize. And our kids need to realize this as well. That hard times are going to come. It's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. And so, how will you? address those situations will you allow them to crush you under the weight of those challenging times or will you allow those challenging times to refine you and develop in, within you an indestructible core based upon the values that you hold to be most dear and when we have an indestructible core then there's nothing on the outside that can destroy us
1: yeah, as you were there sharing, what I kept realizing is we need to keep our soul stable. Everything can happen outside, but that part needs to stay calm, undaunted, like totally the spirit has to stay true without the hope reali- stays right there. Adversities can hit me anywhere and everywhere and I'm just going back to you know my favorite scene from Monty Python where you know the knight says it's just a flesh wound this guy has lost his arm leg. Like, like he still is in the fight because right. he doesn't see that right so I want to change gears because you know I want to take you back take you to a fictitious conversation so visualize Randy today is sitting and talking to two other Randys 16 year old Randy and 100-year-old Randy, three of you are sitting at your favorite place. Of course, all of you have the same favorite restaurant coincidence. What would that conversation look like? Like, what would you ask Randy from 16 years old, Randy from 100 years old, and what would you like to share with them?
0: Yeah. Wow. I like that question. Um, I think the thing I would share with the 16-year-old Randy is a simple idea that you don't have to wait until life is easy until you make the decision to be happy. Does life ever get easy? No, it doesn't. And I think I think that that's that's a lie that that so many people live is that they believe that happiness is the result of having no problems. Mm-hmm. And that's not true because I can't think of a time in my life that I went for a long period of a long season without problems. Problems are are just a part of the human experience. And so I I would want the 16-year-old Randy to understand that that tough times are going to come, but how you endure those Mm -hmm. will determine your trajectory. And if you handle those difficult times well, then you can use those current conditions as conditioning to prepare you for better things to come. I I would say... Stay true to your values.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Make sure that your core is strong and bounce back. It's sort of like uh, the difference between a super ball and silly putty. Everybody mm-hmm. remembers a super ball. You know, super Bowl has a almost indestructible core. The harder you throw it down, the higher it bounces. Yeah. But silly putty, when you apply pressure, it compresses and it adopts to its environment. And I would say don't be like silly putty. Don't conform to your environment, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, set your sights on higher things and bounce back to the hundred year old Randy. I I would want to ask him a lot of questions, (laughs) you know, because I think what I would discover is if I asked him, what are the highlights of your life? I think he would say probably the lessons that he learned out of hardship. Mm-hmm. much like you you know when you're when your grandmother didn't sell her home um, at the time it seemed devastating but looking back on it now you're probably more circumspect and you're probably much more appreciative of the fact that she forced you to dig down or reach deep within yourself mm-hmm. and draw out resources out of your own spirit that maybe you never even imagined were there and it was probably one of the greatest gifts she could have ever given to you. And I think the 100-year-old Randy would look back and he would probably reflect upon those difficult times as being milestone moments in his own life that were, um, that were, were pivotal and, uh, and set him on a, a totally different trajectory.
1: You know, I ask this question nearly every time, and what fascinates me is nearly every time the hundred-year-old person reflects on the tough times and the wins through those and not the goofy times, the 50th anniversary and the 40th, because that's really amazing. You know, one thing also what really hit home is commitment to do things and as I told you about, my grandma used to write letters. And as I reflect on these letters, grandma is not here anymore. But her thoughts are there. Inspirations are there for a lifetime. What I realized was this whole concept of doing tomorrow doesn't work. Either I do it or I don't. I have taken snooze out of my equation. In the morning, one alarm, I will make a choice. Get out of bed or don't get out of bed. I will go to the gym today. There's no going to the gym tomorrow. Like tomorrow's decision will happen tomorrow. I cannot ever use that as an excuse today. I'm a little tired. I promise Arjun, I'll go, no, that is tomorrow's decision is independent today. Be truthful. You don't want to go to the gym, say I'm not going to the gym, be that I don't want to go to the gym Arjun and go to sleep. And this is another thing, another woman in my life, my amazing daughter taught me is in life, we all get wake up calls. What we do with those wake-up calls defines us. Some of us snooze through, some of us don't hear, and that's really fascinating. So, Randy, this is an incredible conversation with you. I truly appreciate you taking the time. Is there any final thoughts, a question, or something that I should have, would have asked you, but I didn't, anything you want to add? Because I'm like this, I have to listen to it myself a few times to truly get the nuggets you shared with me.
0: Well, I would just simply say that for anybody who wants to elevate their level of hope, I would encourage them to get a copy of the book, Hope Rises, because two of the things that we talk about, we we give 10 practical ideas on how to elevate your hope. And the first one is to set goals that are based upon your character. You know, we all are familiar with goals that are about accomplishments and, and uh, you know, <laughs> gaining competencies and things like that. But Not many of us think about our goal setting as being those things that involve our character. How is your character going to grow? That's the first part. But then the second thing, and you just mentioned it, that's why I want to play off of it, is that the second thing you have to do is you have to establish routines, because when you establish routines, it eliminates the debate. And you get through, you don't have to have that internal dialogue with yourself where you talk yourself out of it and you play all kinds of mental games. But by establishing routines, you eliminate the debate. And there are a lot of other wonderful, wonderful ideas that we unpack in the book that can help people um, embrace and engender a greater sense of hope within their lives. But um, I would just say this in closing, that, that when we realize the power and the impact that hope can have, and if we define it properly, and if we embrace it wholly, then it can make a tremendous difference in our lives. And I'll just close by saying this, that, that peace is the emotional response of faith. Joy is the emotional response of hope. And love is the expression of them both. And so faith, hope, and love are intricately intertwined together. And when we get that combination right, then our soul is filled with peace. Our life is filled with joy. And we live out the expression of love as we create value for other people. And that's when life really gets fun and life really gets exciting because we get beyond our own challenges. We embrace whatever life throws our way and we leverage even bad times to accomplish great good feats.
1: Thank you, Randy. I think this as to be the conversation where I've used the inaudible sound, hmm, maximum number of times. I don't think I have ever used it that many times and that was the wisdom from you. All of you who are listening, this book, Hope Rises, make your life, love and leadership soar. I want to read it myself because I haven't read it yet. I need to be truthful. And the reason I want to read it is because Randy is sharing from what he lives, what he practices, but what he also uses to help other, others live successfully. And the second part, what I like is even though he works primarily with, you know, business leaders at the highest level, this book is focused on life, love, and then leadership, because what I realized that if I don't have a life worth living or love in my life, I'm not talking about romantic interest. It's overall love for humanity. It's very tough to be a leader because leaders need people to follow. And that's the reason this really conversation fascinated me because initially I thought it's a very clever name for a book, but this conversation made me realize, wow, this is a book I really want to put on my reading list and get to it. Thank you, Randy, for truly a fascinating conversation. Thank you all for listening to Secrets to Win Big. I have, as I always tell you, it's about me. I have the best seat in the house to have these fascinating conversations. I'm just kidding. And looking forward to bringing you another conversation. Till then, stay safe and happy listening.
0: You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts.